Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't quite the show we intended to have this week. We were going to talk about the iPhone 4S and the first keynote from Tim Cook as CEO of Apple. And then one day later, my wife comes into my office and says, Steve Jobs died and the world changed and the world was cold. So we're going to be talking a little bit about Steve Jobs, but also quite a bit about Apple's announcements because life must go on. We'll be talking first to Peter Cohen of the Angry Mac Bastards radio show on the loop at loopinsight.com. We'll hear from Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and appleinsider.com. And a bit later, Adam Engst of Tidbits. The focus starting about Steve Jobs. And when I think of how I heard about the death of Steve Jobs, I remember back long, long ago to how I heard of the death of President John Kennedy back in 1963. And I was a kid. I'm not that old. I'm not as old as I look. I'm a kid then. I was asleep in the afternoon, and I got up. I took a bike ride to buy something, saw some people in the store looking very downcast. I didn't pay attention, didn't talk to them at all. Came back home, and my father came home from work, and he said the president was shot. That's how I heard. So, Peter Cohen, how did you hear about the death of Steve Jobs? I was um, sitting down to uh, supper with my uh, my family, and as I usually do, I have my MacBook balanced on on one leg while I'm doing it. And uh, I was monitoring um, uh, Twitter, and uh, I noticed uh, one of the people I follow on Twitter mentioned that ABC News reported that uh, Steve Jobs had passed away, and it had the news on in the background. And uh, just at that at that moment, they cut away with a. Um, uh, a special report uh, announcing that uh, that Steve had passed away. Interesting to note that just about every newspaper, online service, etc., reports this as the headline story. You know, the death of a world leader hardly gets more attention than the death of the CEO of a technology company. Isn't it fascinating? Indeed, it is, and I, you know, it, it just um, sort of reinforces about what an impact um, Apple and and Steve uh, has made um, on our our culture. You know, and it, it, it's also interesting to note that it, it, as uh, President Obama himself pointed out, many people found out yesterday that Steve had passed away using a device that that he had touched in some way. Uh, you know, I found out about it on my MacBook. I, I know a lot of people read and and uh, made comments about uh, Steve's passing away first on their iOS device, whether it was an iPhone or an iPad. So, you know, these devices are, are ubiquitous and and they're they're sort of woven into our uh, our, our culture for better or worse. You know, I wonder whether sometimes people know they don't have a lot of time on this planet, on this earthly existence, and so they live faster and try to accomplish more before it's too late. And then if you even believe that for a moment, maybe that's why Steve Jobs worked so hard and so fast to rebuild Apple during the time he had left from 1997 until 2011. Well, yeah. I mean, when he came back in '97, obviously he was uh, he was healthy, and and I don't uh, suspect that he had any inkling that you know that that the that that he was already in his golden years. It's something in your gut. I think sometimes people who don't have a lot of time left feel it that way. I'll give you one example, which means probably nothing to anybody here. When my father died, the day of my birthday in 1988, the night before he called. 
and spent an awful long time on the phone trying to reassure himself, I guess, that I was okay. And I was. And the next day, he just died. And I never had that kind of conversation with him before. It's as if he knew the end was near. And again, he wasn't ill. He just basically upped and died just before his 79th birthday. Interesting. Well, I mean, bear in mind, though, that Steve, of course, was back at Apple for 14 years. Um, I've, I've, I've heard um, and read a quote attributed to Steve after his, uh, his reascension at Apple uh, in 97, saying that um, the first time he left Apple, he left it in the hands of a bozo, and, and he was uh, bound to determine not to let that happen again. Um, it's so clear um, that um, you know, Steve spent much of his time um, that second time as, as Apple's CEO, um, getting that ship right and, and forming a, an executive staff around him that could carry uh, his vision of what Apple could achieve well into the future. And that, I think, will be probably um, Steve's greatest legacy to, to, to Apple, you know, the, the continued success of Apple uh, as a consumer electronics company. Let me ask you, did you ever have a chance to meet Steve Jobs other than just seeing him at a keynote? Yeah, once. Um, it was at the uh, um, opening of the Soho uh, Apple Store. Ah, uh, yes. I was and, there, too. And uh, But I didn't see you. Or maybe I didn't, but we didn't basically like, like, cross two halves. Sh- two ships passing in the night. Something like that. You know, I was um, busy talking to Tim Allen, seriously. Tim Allen, the comedian actor. And we discussed mostly his interest in Max and also the movie Galaxy Quest. <laughs> that comedy movie which kind of owes something to Star Trek. Indeed. Where he played basically the egomaniac Captain Kirk kind of character. <laughs> and we talked about that for a while. And then Jobs and Phil Schiller came aboard. And I started talking to Steve for a couple of minutes. And then Steve pulled something he did with me later on when I had a chance to talk to him, which is when he was about ready to stop talking rather than say, I have to go, he would simply continue talking turn around and walk away while still talking. (laughs) (laughs) What I remember the most about that day is that um, uh, wandering around the store after um, um, uh, Ron Johnson, Apple's VP of retail, had had given us the lay of the land, um, trying to find some good pictures to take. Um, And uh, Steve was at the Genius Bar, um, talking to nobody in particular, but just uh, sort of standing there taking a look at the store and and, – uh, and, and riffing, and he put his hands out um, on the edge of the bar, and the Genius Bar logo was framed in the background. And I think everybody with a camera recognized that it was a great opportunity, great photo op. So we all pulled out our cameras and we started clicking away. And um, Steve was very gracious, uh, uh, not really posing, but aware that it was a moment. And then some idiot started offering stage directions. Hey, Steve, can you move this way? Can you move that way? And that, of course, broke the spell. He kind of got this dark look on his face. And then a second later, he smiled, and he goes, okay, I think that's enough, and then just wandered off. Uh, well, I would have done that, the same that, thing, that, I think. Yeah, <laughs> much, in the, much in the same way that you describe you know, that uh, talking and then just moving away. Um, and, you know, all of us, of course, you know, cursed the photographer who had the audacity to uh, – to try to direct uh, Steve's motion, but you know it was, it was telling too. You know he was he was very cognizant and aware um, that wherever he was was sort of the center of attention, and he could turn that on and off. You know, like like a switch. I think that uh, um, uh, you know that that can't be easy for anybody 
uh, to manage that that sort of that charisma, that reality distortion field that we've heard about a million times. Well, I think part of it also is because Steve Jobs probably was very shy in person. And so when he tried to perform in public, he overcompensated. I understand the feeling. You overcompensate, you try too hard to be personable, and you end up being rude or obnoxious. And I can see kind of some of that going on there. And he kept a very private life. And when he did speak in public under carefully controlled, carefully rehearsed conditions, he knew what he was going to say. He had it well rehearsed, well prepped. He was ready to go. When he was finished, he's out the door. Exactly. And I think that was quite typical of the public encounters because he never sat down, I guess, until he did this authorized biography, which is going to come out, by the way, at the end of this month, not in November. They moved up the publication date for obvious reasons. But I think that was probably one of the few times he actually sat down with somebody, talked to them at length about personal issues, not just consigned to the business. We have Peter Cohen of the Angry Back Bastards radio show on a sad occasion of the passing of Steve Jobs at the age of 56. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. SellYourMac.com purchases used Apple computers, iPhones, iPads, and iPods through a safe, no-hassle transaction. They're a BBB-accredited business with an A-plus rating. You can rest assured you'll get paid for your expensive devices. They're in this business because they love Apple products. They want you to have the latest and greatest Apple gear available. Selling your used Mac, iPhone, or iPad will greatly reduce the cost of a new purchase. Get a free quote now from SellYourMac.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Good day, Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, October 7th, 2011. Gold opened this morning at 1652.80. A one-ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1694.02, 847.01 a half ounce, or 423.50 for a quarter ounce. That's 1694.02, 847.01, and 423.50. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights have been reduced to old relics politicians ignore, trample with their outlandish, overreaching policies. Your support for the Campaign for Liberty stands in the way of this insidious process. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I have teamed up with the Campaign for Liberty to offer the authentic proof quarter-ounce pure gold coin. For only $440 plus shipping, Midas will donate $100 to this incredible organization. Help fight big government by ordering your gold coin at 800-686-2237. You get to win twice by owning gold and fighting an overreaching government. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. 
Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins and heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Life Before the Collapse, Vinyl LP, by The Lost Vegas. Before the Collapse, Final LP, by the Lost Vegas. Life Before the Collapse, by the Lost Vegas. Oh, yeah. This can, why don't want it? On 180-gram vinyl, and mastered especially for vinyl by legendary audio engineer Steve Hall. Now available at Amazon.com. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. We're back with Peter Cohen of the Angry Mac Bastards Radio Show and the Loop at LoopInsight.com. So looking forward now, we have to see, okay, Steve Jobs has left this existence. I am noticing as we record the show that Apple's stock price has actually gone up. Yeah, and everybody was panicking um, in the wake of the iPhone 4S announcement because the uh, the stock price had dropped, which, of course, was totally expected because um, Wall Street always – Buys on rumors and sells on news. And it's almost normal that every time Apple has an event, the stock price almost always goes down, possibly because of the perception that whatever announcements were made didn't meet expectations. Well, buy on rumors, sell on news is not unique to Apple. That That is Wall Street's standard modus operandi. So um, I, I wouldn't attribute it specifically to Apple analysis, uh, but it does definitely seem to fit the pattern. Yeah, it seems to be typical of what happens. And a little bit later in the show, we'll talk to you about our reactions to the iPhone 4S and about the differences being under the skin, not on the surface except for the positioning of the antennas and stuff like that. Back to Steve Jobs. I guess the best way to look at his impact is to see what we were doing before we started using Mac. So when did you start using a Mac and how did you embrace the platform as you did? 
Oh boy, Gene. Uh, my first experience with the Mac was back around 1984, maybe 1985. I'm not sure. I, I, that, that's about when I got my first Mac. Um, but I remember the first time I saw one uh, was at a, uh, a computer fair and a fellow had a Macintosh and was showing Mac Paint. And up until that point, I was using a uh, TI-99-4A, and I was using it to, um, at that point, mainly uh, to draw bitmap graphics. And the way that I was doing it was using basic hexadecimal data strings. And I would sit there with graph paper and uh, graph uh, these elaborate illustrations that I wanted to do um, on graph paper and, uh, you know, fill them in with colored pencils and then translate uh, that uh, that to uh, hexadecimal code that I could then uh, type into a basic uh, program and and display on the screen. Uh, it was an enormous amount of work for very little payback. And the first time I saw Mac, it was running Mac Paint, and I was just overwhelmed. You can do this visually. You can do this with this thing called a mouse. What? Uh, and it was a real life-altering event for me. And after that, I made it my mission. I had to have one of these computers. And sure enough, about a year later, I, I, I managed to get my first Mac and have been a, a Mac user ever since. I think I first learned about the Mac from a musician, an arranger. My wife was working as a singer in those days, and her arranger bought one of the early Macs and used it as a recording studio. Shades of what we're doing right now with our Macs. Use it for recording studio, multi-track recording studio. And I, at that time, was working in the pre-press business for a shop that did artwork and typesetting and everything. And I look at the Mac and I went to the management and said, you know, you've got to get this. This is the future because that's when we had, of course, PageMaker was coming in and later on Quark Express. This is the future of your business. You have to embrace it. And so they did. But at that time, I never heard of Steve Jobs, you know. When I bought my first Mac, I didn't know Steve Jobs or Woz or any of those people at Apple. I didn't know anything about the personalities. I didn't learn about those things till later. Yeah, the same for me. You know, that, that uh, understanding of the subculture of being an Apple user came much later. It, it probably wasn't really until actually the that, that, that you know, hiatus period where Steve wasn't involved with Apple, um, that when, when Apple really started to fall off the cliff, um, that that I became enmeshed in in Macintosh culture, uh, and became one of those Mac users. You know, so it it it, it was a. It, but but for all that time, you know, I was very fond of the platform and used it a great deal. But it's amazing, you know, how much and and how deeply uh, these products that Steve had something to do with have really uh, touched and informed uh, my life, not just as a professional, not just as a computer professional, but also just as a general consumer. You know, between the iPod and the iPad and the iPhone. Um, all these devices have become incredibly integral and and sort of become the um, the barometer by which the use of other devices have been measured. How close to that Apple experience can I get uh, with something else in my life? What's interesting here is that what Steve Jobs did was make the computer, all these electronic gadgets, personal. And that's the thing. He made them personal. He made you want them. He made you like them. He made you enjoy using them. That was part of his inspiration, whereas everybody else treated it as a machine. Here's a machine with specs. Apple, it's personal. With Bill Gates, it's a machine. 
Yeah, and you know what's really ironic about that, Gene? What's really incredible is it's 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 a lesson that many companies still don't get. When you take a look at the way that so many of these Google Android devices are sold now um, in television ads, it's it's about trying to wow you with the technology. It's not explaining how this thing can make life better for you. It's trying to impress you with specs, letting you know that Flash runs on it or that it's got a dual-core microprocessor or you know, that, it, that, it, that it supports LTE. It's, it's, it's meaningless mumbo-jumbo for, I think, most people. But when you take a look at Apple products, the way that they're marketed, and this is such a key ingredient of what Steve, I think, brought to the table, it's a very human experience of you know, how does this make your life better? How does it improve things for you? What does it do for you that makes it interesting to use? And as long as we, we, we can continue to put the person in front of the device and, and understand that, that, that it's the person that's using them, I think Apple will be okay. The very most important thing about the personal computer is the word personal. Indeed. You know, basically... All they did in the old days with the IBM computers is take the concept of the mainframe and scale it down to a smaller box. You know, and that's why, for example, we have Windows, which has, I guess, a lot of the form of the Mac, but not the guts, not the substance. Exactly. So, leaving this part of the discussion in our next segment will be talking about the iPhone 4S, Apple's announcements this week, about Tim Cook as the new CEO. I suppose, looking at everything, Apple's future looks pretty bright, bright as ever. Indeed it does. I'm sure that Apple's best years are in front of it, as Steve said when uh, he offered his final resignation in August. Well, I think he knew then that the end was near. And isn't it fitting that he died the day after Tim Cook gave his presentation with the rest of the Apple executives, and maybe he felt, okay, Apple's in good hands. I don't have to hold on any longer. Indeed. You know, again, we're back to mysticism. (laughs) You know, we're back to that kind of mystic kind of feel about people and lives and everything, and it's kind of the things we get into sometimes on our other show, the Paracast at Paracast.com. But we've got a lot more to talk about. We still have Peter Cohen of the Angry Mac Bastards radio show on the loop at loopinsight.com. Later on, Daniel Aaron Dilger will be dissecting Apple's announcements. Some remembrances about Apple and Steve Jobs will come from Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books a little bit later in the show. I'm Gene Steinberg. We're in the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, 
The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA, but Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Still ready to save? Then you're ready for the fall super sale at HerbalHealer.com. HerbalHealer.com has been the leader in quality natural supplements since 1988. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of incredible fall savings on all sale products running through October 18th. HerbalHealer.com is proud to offer eFoods Global Products, premium storable foods that are delicious, contain no MSG, no trans fats, no GMO, and have a 25-year shelf life. All you do is just add water. To learn more, click the eFoods link on HerbalHealer.com and you can try eFood storable meals for free. And don't forget to click the specials link for even more savings at HerbalHealer.com. Be sure to sign up for our free newsletter. And as always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. HerbalHealer.com, healing the world with nature one person at a time. Hurry, sale ends October 18th. Smokers, are you still smoking traditional cigarettes? Are you still smelling up your clothes and car interior, staining your teeth, and getting ashes everywhere? Why? When you could be smoking or vaping with e-cigarettes by LaSig. With LaSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replacement cartridges, you'll get all the satisfaction of smoking, but no smoking hazards. Choose from a wide variety of our new American-made Vapriate e-liquid flavors at LaSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com, or call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. LaSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Warning, e-cigs may contain nicotine, an addictive substance known to the state of California to cause birth defects or cancer. Please be aware of the risks associated with e-cigs prior to use. You must be 18 years or older to purchase. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. So Peter Cohen of the Angry Mac Bastards radio show on the loop at loopinsight.com. In Tuesday's reportage of Apple's media event, some people looked at the thing and said, gee, it looks like the same iPhone as last year. What did Apple do? 
Of course, it isn't the same, but why do they expect the appearance to change? Why must it be different? Oh, God. I mean, you know, the, the politic answer to that is is because Apple has set the, the threshold of expectation very high, you know, on a new product. You know, Apple has revolutionized the marketplace so many times that some people in the industry seem to think that every new product that Apple brings out has to be a complete reinvention of what they're doing. But I would counter to analysts and pundits who, who say that the 4S is a disappointment because the case isn't any different. You're not really taking a look at the, at the big picture here. And and the way that the iPhone has evolved. You know, the, the, the 4S is, first of all, a huge improvement in every way possible for the iPhone product line. With the it's possible- like they took the case, threw out everything inside, and started again. And started again. I mean, you've got, you know, better antenna design with twice as fast downloads, better battery life, seven times as fast graphics, twice as fast CPU, more storage capacity, um... You know this incredible Siri um, assistant thing that 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 uh, is basically you know like having your own genie in a bottle. All this stuff, all the stuff under the hood, and you know, plus you can still use existing cases with it. That sounds like a win to me. I think it's a win for anyone who makes iPhone peripherals because they could look at that and say, "Hey, we don't have to change anything." Yeah, they kind of had to change things for the Verizon design because some of the things were slightly off in positioning. But now they've got one product for Verizon, Sprint, AT&T, and a couple hundred carriers around the world. It is basically not substantially changed from last year. It weighs a tenth of an ounce more. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) My God, your pocket's going to explode. You know, what it's basically telling me, or what I'm hearing from all these analysts and... and, uh, and pundits who are disappointed about the 4S is, wow, this year's uh, BMW M5 looks exactly like last year's BMW M5, so nobody is going to know it's got a warp drive under the hood. I'm so disappointed. You know, well, if, if you're ready to declare the product a failure because you're that superficial, I think that says a lot more about, you know, the person who is saying this than it does about the product. Um, well, that's the BMW WA for the warp drive. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, excuse so, me, excuse me. Engage. All right. Right. Warp you know, seven. Forget it. So you know that it, it it seems like and I as as I am often fond of saying, there's the the old expression is the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You know this product has not hit the market yet. It does not hit the marketplace until next Friday. Until you know the Friday of next week. My assumption is that it is going to sell like hotcakes and that. Um, you know, everybody who is declaring this, you know, a major failure for Apple is going to have to eat crow. Um, because uh, the one thing that they have consistently failed to take into account in almost every analysis that I have read um, since this product was announced is that Apple is batting clean up with this product. The 4S is here to give an incentive to 3GS users and 3G users. Um, to upgrade because those people are at least two years into their product cycle already. So their contracts are over. You know, they may be going month to month with their carriers now or they may have been waiting uh, for Apple to produce a new phone. And, and, and this is the new phone. And in every possible conceivable way, it's a better product than the product which preceded it. And it's available at the same price. And, you know, there's just no, no loss here. I mean, I'm looking at it, you know, from the perspective of a consumer – 
I'm seriously thinking about upgrading my four to the four S. I'm certainly going to upgrade my my wife's three GS to a four S. It's a solid product, and it's got a lot of improvements that I was hoping for. Now let's talk about the antenna system. Now the antenna system basically switches to a different antenna for transmission receiving so you get a more efficient use of the antenna. This is kind of a diversity system, which Apple says is all new, and I guess it is for a smartphone. But don't cars have diversity systems? True. You know, it's interesting because, at least cursorily, um, Apple seemed to be drawing attention to the antenna system as a way of saying, look, this product isn't marked by issues with the antenna like the original 4 was. You know, we all remember, quote-unquote, antenna gate. Um, So Apple, you know, seemed to want to draw a little attention to the iPhone 4S antenna system to say, look, we've got a more robust system in place, um, capable of of better performance and, and... uh, and better work. Obviously, it's not going to fix the you know patchwork you know craptastic network that AT and T has, but you know it, it should uh, help the iPhone out where it can get signal anyway. Well, it's going to give you a better signal, but of course AT and T you know can spend five or ten billion dollars and upgrade their network or thirty nine <laughs> billion dollars and buy T Mobile, which looks like it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. Now, um, the the other big news uh, in terms of carriers, at least for United States customers, is that Sprint is going to get the iPhone as well. So um, that opens up a new market for Apple also. Well, Sprint, in their case, they're betting the company on that pretty much. That's what the scuttlebutt is. And I kind of think they are because, you know, they're not doing very well with renewals. People are going to other cell phone providers because they're not getting satisfaction from Sprint, meaning the iPhone. Now Dan Hesse can say, we got the iPhone too. Now they are fairly compared to Verizon. Absolutely. And I'm sure that we are going to see Sprint advertise the heck out of the iPhone in the coming months. Um, As a matter of fact, Sprint CEO said um, during a, uh, a conference call over the summer, if I remember, that you know they were they were fully aware that that not having the iPhone was a huge strategic problem for them and that they were losing customers as a result. Uh, say what you want about the Google ecosystem and about how popular Android phones are. That just goes to show you, um, especially in the United States, how vital it is uh, for carriers who want to compete to have the iPhone. And now all but one of them has the iPhone. Well, and of course, it doesn't look like T-Mobile would get it because of the fact that they may or may not be merging with AT&T and also because they have their 3G service on the wrong frequency. That's right. And, you know, of course, when I say all of them, I mean all of the major ones, not the, uh, uh, not the, um, the, the, the virtual companies who, you know, sell uh, bandwidth on other uh, companies' um, uh, networks. Virtually. Yes. <laughs> Companies like Boost Mobile and so on. Sure, sure. Now, we understand that. If they're riding on another network, they're not going to get it. But certainly, this looks to me like a much better deal. And also, the antenna, because of the way it's designed, theoretically, you'll get more efficiency from a signal. So, yeah, I guess you could still hold it the wrong way and hurt the signal strength. But in theory, it could just bump up to the other antenna. That's exactly correct, yeah. Although, um, in the case of T-Mobile, as I understand it, 
it's not just a matter of antenna attenuation. There's 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 a different issue. That well, that's the frequency, as I said. With T-Mobile, their 3G network is using different frequencies, so you'd have to have either a differently designed radio or some way to support those frequencies with a firmware update. Well, uh, yeah, a differently designed radio is the issue. I don't think it's something that you can fix in a firmware update. It's not just turning the dial like you do on a regular radio. Right. This would require new silicon in the phone that it doesn't have right now. Right, because, you know, that, you know, you kind of think could be dumb because wouldn't it be easier to design silicone that could, by firmware, be upgraded to different frequencies within the same band? But then what do I know about design of phones anyway? I mean, I'm just a talk show host. You're just a talk show host, too, so... You don't know about those things, or maybe you do. You know, when I become a when I become a, an exec at Qualcomm, I'll let you know. Well, give us a call, Peter Cohen of the Angry Mac Bastards Radio Show, and the Loop at LoopInsight.com. Now at Loop 2.0, believe it or not. Yes, indeed. Thank you. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com OpticsPlanet.com is where discerning gun owners and outdoorsmen go to gear up. Optics Planet has the best selection of rifle scopes, red dots, night vision, holsters, bags, and tactical gear on the planet. With always low prices, free shipping on most orders, and expert customer service. Go to OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN to get a free gift with purchase. That's OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN. Or call 800-332-OPTICS. 800-332-6784. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. 
We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver. That's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver. UtopiaSilver.com or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. UtopiaSilver.com. Taking back America's health care one American at a time. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. More goodies with Peter Cohen of the Angry Mac Bastards Radio Show. We were talking, first of all, on the rollout of the iPhone 4S, kind of in the tradition of the iPhone 3 and 3S. Exactly right. You know, for several years, Apple made the same iPhone with minor differences. Now they go to a new form factor, and they make an iPhone with the innards changed, but the exterior the same, kind of like they do with, you know, MacBook Pros or the MacBook Air of the iMac. You know, every year they will refresh it with new internal workings, but keep the case the same. And that's great, you know, as I said, if you're a case designer, you design accessories for an iPhone, you must be wanting to kiss the feet of Apple for deciding to keep the same case. Now, why do the people who engage in speculation say the case should have been different? It should have been an iPhone 5. Well, because they've been predicting for months that the case was going to be radically different. And, um, you you know, apparently sources in China had, uh, quote-unquote, leaked uh, information on case designs that showed that the new iPhone 5, which of course has failed to materialize, uh, uses a, a, um, a new, what some have been calling a teardrop shape, where it's, it's tapered and it's thicker at the top and then tapers to a razor point at the bottom. In it's other words, it looks design. like a MacBook Air. 
Right, exactly. But this apparently is complete fiction, and uh, this has just not come to pass. Others were saying that it was going to have a four-inch screen to compete with Android devices that are now working with four-inch screens instead of the three-and-a-half-inch screen, which, quite frankly, does make the iPhone 4 feel a little small compared to some of its competitors. But, you know, I, the, what, what I'm hearing the most is sour grapes from... Uh, people who are paid to give their 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 opinions or to break news and fail to do so adequately, you know, it provided erroneous information based on speculation, based on misdirection, and now they're really upset that their uh, little fictions didn't come to pass, and they want to take it out on Apple. Well, it's not Apple's fault that your imagination, you know, is what it is. Well, Apple never promised them a rose garden. Apple didn't say, okay, we're going to change the case design and we're going to make it look exactly like you think it should look. That's precisely right. I mean, Apple doesn't give a darn about what rumor sites and what analysts and what the press think about their products. They really could not care less. All they care about is whether or not consumers are going to buy it. And that's why I said in our last segment, Gene, that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Ultimately, it is going to be up to the consumer to say whether or not the 4S is a success or not. And the thing is, Apple has been consistently correct in predicting what consumers want for years. And we have seen this cycle repeat over and over again where the analysts and press and pundits will say one thing. And Apple will do something completely different, and Apple will make money hand over fist. I don't expect that this product is going to be treated any differently than those others. Well, they have to look at what features it offers. They're going to look at Siri, this personal assistant, which I understand in the current version, it's technically a beta. It will work with, what, German, French, perhaps, and Australian, British, and American English. So, you know, it hasn't stretched to Chinese yet. There's no Chinese version. So they'll have to develop that. So it's the first release. Yeah, and there is a little bit of pushback, it seems, from the Asian market about the lack of Asian language support in Siri. And obviously that's a huge market for Apple. It's something that they're going to have to address. I'm sure it's something that Siri's developers um, are working on, but something that's just not ready for prime time yet. And Apple, of course, would much rather have a product that works out in the world than release a product that doesn't work and d- disappoint customers. I understand that. Every voice recognition system out there has been troublesome. You know, there is no perfect voice recognition system. I guess, of course, Nuance has some decent product. Their Dragon software for the Mac and Windows does decent dictation. But on the whole, what this product is being asked to do, no other product can do with that kind of flexibility. I mean, you go to a car and you have voice recognition systems, command systems, and they are pathetic. You name the car, they're pathetic. <laughs> yeah, uh, indeed. I mean, I've, I've had spotty luck, you know, in rentals that feature some sort of voice recognition system. Uh, but you're, you're absolutely correct. It, up until now, it's been a big disappointment. So it'll really be interesting uh, to see how good Siri works um, in, in practice. Siri obviously has already been available. Um, in fact, it's already available on iOS as an application, but um, its availability is disappearing uh, with the advent of Siri for iPhone 4S. And I understand it probably requires a lot of CPU horsepower, which is why 
it's not backwards compatible and not just a software download for the iPhone 4. Correct, but the iPhone 4S uses the same innards as the iPad 2. So um, it's a valid question as to whether or not uh, Siri is going to appear in some form for the iPad 2. Unless there's a hardware decoder. Unless there's a hardware decoder, quite right. Right. So it's referring strictly to the hardware within the iPhone 4S in theory, the same as the iPad 2, but maybe there are extensions to the chips they're adding. So it gets parallel processing or something. You know, that's why it's tied to that. That's my opinion. Apple will never tell you about Apple this will, thing. That's exactly right. Apple will, you know, we'll have to wait for the iPhone 4S teardowns to try to figure that out. Now, I was reading the other day from one of the other analysts mentioning the people who were not invited to Apple's media event, one of which is Consumer Reports. Of course, Consumer Reports did not recommend the iPhone 4 because of the so-called antenna gate problem, ignoring the fact that every other smartphone has a sensitive spot, a G spot, or an anti-G spot, depending on your point of view. <laughs> but then, you know, Apple had a smaller venue, so that's where you go. So, okay, this is the iPhone 4S going on sale the 14th of October. If you've heard the show after that, you can buy one. In the U.S., it'll be available from Verizon and Sprint, from AT&T. If you want to save money, I guess Sprint will be the answer, but you'll have the same problem as you have with Verizon, which is you can't use voice and data at the same time. That's not changed. That's correct, and it's worth pointing out that uh, some of the talk about this reworked antenna system noted that Apple can, or that the iPhone 4S is capable of twice the download speed over HSDPA um, networks. Well, in the United States, that consists of one network specifically, and that's AT&T. And AT&T um, has very poor implementation of the higher speeds, so in most parts of the U.S., it will make a difference. You're not going to see that 14.4 megabit per second download speed. Absolutely right, Gene. But um, the other thing that's worth pointing out here is because this is still working on Verizon and Sprint's 3G networks, um, the, the CDMA or the, the iPhone 4S is not capable, um, as you said, of, of communicating by voice and data at the same time. So, um, you know, for those of us who are accustomed to surfing and talking at the same time, that is a big problem. Well, there you go. You make your decision. I suppose also it depends on the quality of AT&T's network in your city because we don't know when they'll fix it, especially with the cloud hanging over them with this merger. I don't think the consumers care at all. Indeed. You know, they don't care whether Apple makes a profit or not. That's not their problem. They that only isn't. care. They care about one thing. And the one thing they care about is whether they're iPhone works properly, whether they have good support, whether they can make phone calls and receive phone calls, which is the biggest thing. You know, that's the thing right there. If you can't make and receive phone calls on that device, it doesn't matter what it does. If you can't get the software that you want, it doesn't matter what it does. I don't know, Gene. I mean, you know, I haven't been able to make or receive calls on AT&T for years, but it doesn't stop me from getting an iPhone. Okay, well... In your particular case, you have to hope AT&T <laughs> is going to do something better, but then you don't use it for phone calls. To you, it's a pocket Internet device, right? 
Yeah, well, for a lot of people, I mean, you know, for for a lot of people, uh, the 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 talking on the phone is this is a generational thing. I admit, but uh, for a lot of people, talking on the phone is the last thing you do with your phone. You know, you, you use it as a as as a PDA. You use it as a device for uh, communicating text and email. Uh, you use it to surf the web. You use it to you know find restaurants to eat, uh, play games, all this other stuff. But the last thing you would dream of doing is actually using it as a phone. Using it as a phone, God, that's so 20th century. Oh, I can't do that. I can't use anything as a phone. Using a phone? You've got to be kidding me. How can anybody expect me to do any such thing? Where do we find more of the stuff from Peter Cohen? You can find me at The Loop, which is loopinsight.com, and you can also find me at angrymacbastards.com. And remember, Angry Mac Bastards Radio Show, okay. It's like the nightclub. They don't restrict the language. Call it an online nightclub radio show, right? Peter Cohen, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you very much, Gene. Always a pleasure. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. The one, the only, Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine, an Apple insider. We call him a cutting-edge commentator because he says the things that other commentators don't want to say, can't say, didn't think of. Now, watching the virtual version, shall we say, of the first Tim Cook keynote, how to strike you? The keynote overall? Let's look uh, at the presentation first, and then we'll look at the content. The form and then the substance. Well, Tim Cook is, doesn't convey the same kind of excitement, but overall, the whole presentation is very Apple-like in that they developed a product, and now they're ready to show it off as a finished thing. And there's going to be some, I mean, it's still a 1.0 you know, iOS 5 is brand new. There's going to be some, like, little minor things about it. This Siri is pretty new. It's been used in other ways, but it's new how it's integrated with the OS in, on the iPhone 4S. And they introduced some new iPods and, you know, various other things. Um, but it was very slick. And the impression that I got from watching not just the presentation, but watching other people's take on the presentation, like, as it was going and then afterward, kind of, when people sigh and say, oh, I'm so disappointed, uh, is fascinating because 
it reminds me, <laughs> it reminds me of the, of the gospels about Jesus <laughs> because there's all these things where he's like talking about all these, um, ideas and kind of, a, you know, establishing this new religion. The people in the audience are, are all consistently saying, uh, yeah, yeah, get past that. I, I, I want to see more magic miracle stuff. <laughs> and that's, that's the impression I always get when I watch Apple stuff is that people act like they're so bored. It's like, oh, I've heard about iCloud before. It's like, well, that's Apple's key product. Apple's key products are the, you know, iOS devices, Macs and iCloud. And, you know, Line and iOS 5. That's what they're going to be presenting. And they, they threw out an entirely new, the series stuff. Anyone who's kind of watching Apple knew that was going to come at some point, but it was somewhat unanticipated. We didn't know what it was going to, how it was going to work, and so it was, it was pretty new stuff. Now, one thing they'd heard in advance, they said that Apple had licensed technology from Nuance, who makes the Dragon, naturally speaking, software. They bought the Mac Speech product for the Mac. They thought it would come from there, forgetting that Apple acquired Siri, what, about a year ago? Well, I believe how it works. I mean, I'm, I may not have it all, but Siri was a company that Apple bought. And Siri was building the intelligent front end that licenses Nuance software. So in the back end, it's running Nuance software. So as, a, as the owner of Siri, Apple also was engaged with Nuance and licensing their software. So it was, it was kind of both. They're using the underlying engine is coming from Nuance, right. but Siri is doing things with it. Right. Okay. Now, I wasn't clear about this. We'll go more into the presentation in a moment, but this is so fascinating, this speech recognition, because it uses plain English, and there's so much we can talk about, about the implications. But I gather it's on the 4S because it requires a lot of CPU horsepower, and maybe there are extensions or something in the chips to support it. Yes. I mean, there's a lot more available horsepower on the 4S. It has the same chip as the iPad 2 the A5 chip. So it's a dual core chip. It's quite a bit faster. It has, um, it has fancy GPUs on it, which can be used. Apple's apparently harnessing that in, to do open sales stuff. I mean, I, as I understand, I, I'm not entirely clear on that, but there's a lot of horsepower on the iPhone 4S. It's not on the existing iPhone 4. And so it not only makes it faster overall, it allows you to do things you can't do on earlier models or that you couldn't do very well. Now the Siri app existed before, and it runs on—I think it runs on the iPhone 3GS, if if not earlier. But um, this is more than just the app. They took they took the app that existed that is now on, on life support. I think it's, it dies when the iPhone 4S comes out, and integrated kind of deeply into the operating system. So in addition to just being able to have open up the app and ask it a question and have it generate some response for you. You can now pull it up at any point, and you can also, you know, tap and say, "I want to dictate something and talk into it." Now, in theory, then you could dictate a letter. Yeah, I mean, I have. You can say, "Okay, your secretary, write me down a letter," and there you go. Just kind of like we're using those products on Macs and PCs now, where you use dictation software. But the difference being, and we had Kirk McElhern discuss this how you have to basically not just train the software, but train yourself to speak in a new way to get it to take things accurately. Here, supposedly, it's plain language. Okay, so there's two things. Um, first off, you're talking about desktop software, like the Nuance stuff, the Dragon Dictate. I used, you know, the last time I was in a motorcycle accident, I was kind of crippled up in it. And I, I couldn't really type. 
And so I was experimenting with voice recognition software to actually dictate articles. And it works pretty well. It, it, it kind of either works fantastically well or it's kind of difficult. You, there are certain things that I just could not say in a way that would make it get it. And there's a learning process that you have to go through. But those kind of, that kind of software runs only on your computer. What Apple's doing is similar to what Google did in-house with its voice recognition stuff. So Android devices have the ability to dictate commands. From anywhere you can type, you can push a button and speak into it and enter text via, via voice. But it's not done on the smartphone. You enter, it's just like Google's Translate app on the iPhone, iOS, or I think it's on the Mac as well. But you talk into it, it uploads it to Google. Google servers do the heavy processing, and then it sends back a response. And actually, it does it pretty quickly. I don't know how much the client on, on the client end, if it does some pre-processing to kind of help speed things along. But, but you have to be online. Right, you have to have network access. Which is, you know, that, that's the point of having a mobile phone instead of an iPod Touch is that you are, hopefully, connected all the time. Okay. So if you don't have service, it's, I don't know if it works at all. Maybe okay, but you have to something. depend on the service being good. You have to depend on really decent service in order to have Google servers do the heavy lifting. But here, Apple has put everything in the device itself. Well, it's not really clear how much it's running. Because right now, iOS devices already do voice command, where right. you can double-click and you can do a couple different you can control the iPod or you can ask what I'm ask saying is things. here is that the iPhone is doing all the processing it's not calling on some online resource is it no it is I mean it is on a couple levels oh, okay. one it's 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 I don't know how, to what degree it relies on the network to process your stuff because like I said currently the, the system can already understand some things so it appears that there is some processing going on, on the phone it's like an embellished version of voice control but Additionally, I mean, if nothing else, the fact that it's doing, you know, Wolfram searches and Wikipedia searches and whatever else, you know, looking up weather, those kind of things obviously need to have a network connection to be able to get the the information from somewhere. So it's actually accessing information or buying you tickets or whatever like that. Um, Oh, yeah, if it it has to communicate and call something online. Right. But if you're just dictating a letter. I'm not actually sure. I haven't used it yet, and I haven't seen how it works entirely. Um, I would imagine there's at least something going on on the phone. I don't know if it, if it works to some extent. If you have no connection, that would be great. But it, what I've seen so far, I mean, like with Google stuff, I think that only works if you have network connection. Right. Okay, now we understand that. Okay, so this is probably one of the more fascinating developments, and especially when you consider how bad voice recognition is. Now, I haven't used the Android system. If you... What do you think about it? I haven't used Android extensively. I have, I have voice recognition in my car, and when it works, it's amazing. Um, it doesn't always work perfectly. You I know. Have I have tried the knows. systems in several different cars. Yeah. So we have Infiniti, Honda, BMW. I've tried their systems. I've tried a few others on a limited degree Ford. Now, BMW, the last time I saw BMW, I had a rented car. And the voice recognition system, the voice came back with this female robotic voice from out of the 1980s. And I hope you don't have that. Uh, the only cars that I've seen it in, I've tried it on a Ford using the you know, Microsoft Sync thing. And I was trying to, to do voice commands. I couldn't make it do anything. And the guy that was showing me the vehicle 
was trying to demonstrate how it worked, and it didn't work for him either. I mean, it was just like a horrible demonstration of... And we should point out in passing that Ford has gotten dinged about that, that a lot of people are complaining. It's a Microsoft-based system. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hello again, I hope all is well. This is John Swenson at Midas Resources, 800-686-2237, extension 128. We are your source for gold and silver. Not much has changed since we last spoke. The economy remains in the tank. Unemployment is a national disaster, and there's zero leadership in Washington. Experts tell us that the stock market is headed towards 7,000. The deficit will continue to climb. Still, gold is expected to go to 2000 by the first quarter. That would put silver back nearing 50 bucks. Frankly, Scarlett, there are no solid options available beyond precious metals. Please give me a call, John Swenson, 800-686-2237, extension 128, for an informative, no-pressure conversation. John Swenson, 800-686-2237, extension 128, and I look forward to hearing from you. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins and heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Local Army-Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military-issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. 
quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits, magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches, first aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bale, and a huge Molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com, the main name in military supply. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at com. That's news at com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightall.com slash radio. That's technightall.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Owl Live. While we were discussing voice recognition systems, briefly the MyTouch system from Ford which is powered by Microsoft, right? Yeah, it's. I think the thing I was looking at was Sync. But, yeah, whatever it was, I, I didn't have much luck with that. And, you know, friends that I've talked to have been like, oh, yeah, voice recognition doesn't really work. And But when I looked at the, the BMW, it, I would say it, the main things are you can pull up. The most useful thing is you can pull up navigation things. Like you can navigate th- through the dash computer. So you can ask it what your mileage is or, or, or trip details about directions, and it, it works really well. But it has a limited Most, language. You have to know right, its right. language and know its syntax. But to an extent. I mean, there's certain things, for example, you can enter an address. So if you're looking for directions somewhere, you can tell it to enter the address, and you say the address, and it's very good. I do thought. you actually say the address, or do you do it like... First, you have to give the number, have, then you have to you give have the to street. You have to a certain way. Okay, you don't, so you don't have in, to in all these cases, time. though, which is what I was saying, in all these cases, these systems require you to speak certain commands in a certain way, in a certain sequence to be understood. Like for a Honda, for example, you get the navigation system on a Honda Accord, and you'll say, call, and you'll give the name. So say I have Daniel Aaron Dilger's phone number right. in the Honda Accord. So I program that number, and I'll say, call Daniel. And then the voice will come back saying, please confirm if you want to call Daniel or something. Press the button again, because you have to press a button to talk, and say what you want to do, which in this case would be yes. But if you use a phone number, the command to confirm is call. I'm dizzy. Yeah. Well, it has to be designed right. I mean, there's a, there's a combination of the actual raw technology and there's the interface. The BMW stuff that I've used you push a button on the steering wheel to start talking. So you give it a command. It right, like, exactly. radio, whatever. Right. And then it's kind of a conversation. So she'll say, what do you want to, you know, it basically does a ding, and then you tell it what you want to do. And then like, if, you, if you say enter address, so she'll tell you how to enter the address. So it goes through this thing, you know, enter the address number using single digits. And then just, and you can either say a city or you can give a precise address or whatever. And uh, it, it will ask you to confirm and you can say yes and you can say call and go to this or whatever and it keeps working until you've kind of finished it prompts you in hand. little segments little yeah. tidbits little snippets of information it prompts you give me a little bit give me a little bit don't give me everything at once because my brain will explode yeah i mean it's like any kind of any kind of command like that it, it works best if you 
the least amount of information it has to work with. So, Okay, now in the case of Apple's Siri system, is that better at that, or is it still the, the same the thing with somewhat seen, better recognition? The examples that I've seen, I haven't worked with it yet because I don't have the iPhone 5 4S. <laughs> but uh, the examples that I've seen, it looks like there's a lot of freedom in what you can actually say and how you can ask questions. And it just picks out nouns and kind of knows how to do it. And it, it seems like it's getting that intelligence, not just from the voice recognition part, but also from the things it hooks into. So it hooks into Wolfram, which allows you to ask kind of natural language questions and gives you back this very kind of robust answer that isn't just a one word answer. It's, it's, here's a whole bunch of stuff that is going to answer your question. So that looks really cool. And just kind of anticipating certain things you can possibly do, which, you know, open up a text, open up a email, check for weather, check your stocks, those kind of things makes it so that you're doing targeted things. You're not just asking it, you know, it's not just like general AI. Now, that's a good question, too. I guess if you're in your car and you have to talk, you could basically take it through this whole routine and do a lot of stuff in the car, of course, unless thinking too hard causes you to be a distracted driver. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you need to be careful. It actually depicts a guy driving with an earphone. He has one earphone in, and he's using the button to, to initiate a question, and he asks a question about it. So it's you know it's fairly hands-free. But, um, yeah, it's a lot different than trying to navigate a screen. Right, I've, because I've you can't look myself. at the screen, otherwise you run to somebody's rear end. Yeah. And maybe that's the rear end of a physical person rather than the rear end of a car. Yeah, that would be awful. All right, so anyway, this seems to be a pretty major development. So if nothing else, we have the faster processor, we have the graphics chips that are much faster, seven times faster processing. We have the superior voice recognition. That's interesting. Now we've got a new camera, and the new camera has eight megapixels as opposed to five, but Apple boasts they use their megapixels more efficiently than other companies. They have a five-element lens they give you much better pictures that appear to approach or match those of a standalone point-and-shoot camera. iPhone 4 has a pretty good camera, so improving on that is pretty good. I mean, the, picture, the test pictures I've seen look pretty impressive. I can imagine, it, you know, printing that stuff out and saying, hey, what's going to happen to all the people building digital cameras when we have this stuff? We have the also auto-stabilization um the movie section make high definition 1080p movies with auto stabilization because trying to hold that thing steady while you're shooting yeah. a picture of your family or the ufo in the sky is pretty difficult well it's really amazing as far as having a convenient camera because like all photographers say I don't know, the best camera you have is the one you have available so if you have a really nice camera and you don't carry it around with you because it's kind of big then it doesn't really do any good but having a, a mobile camera that's always there and takes really quite good pictures and great video that's pretty cool, and that's why Flickr is so full of iPhone 4 pictures. Um, the, the main drawback, there, there's two kind of flaws that are sort of related to the fact that you know, you have, you're limited in what kind of lens and, and camera sensor you have on a, on a smartphone. One is the dynamic range isn't great because it's a small sensor, and no matter how many, you can pack even more and more me- megapixels into a sensor, and it just at some point it just makes it more noisy and Apple's improving upon that using sensors that that are more sensitive so it's better in that regard Uh, and there's other technologies like you're talking about the stabilization stuff and things like that and one of the cool things is that HDR feature that they released 
in the last iOS that takes actually takes three pictures and kind of merges them together so that you get faces and a background and it doesn't blow out the background, and that helped a lot. Again, an optimized Some version. And the other issue is the new camera software for iOS 5, which will be, of course, available to anyone who has a current supported iPhone or iPad, the camera app will let you do a little bit of photo editing. I think it's better to put them in iPhoto. I mean, if you take a photo that you really like and you edit it too much on the camera, you're basically throwing away pixels. It's basically it, a tiny pixels. version of iPhoto, just the very basic, simplest tool, something yeah. where you have a photo that needs only a little bit of a touch-up, not a major operation. You can take a good picture and make it into a, you know, quite a nice picture by cropping out some junk and doing the autocorrect thing to put it on Facebook, for example. But if you have a really good picture, you'd prefer to do it in Aperture iPhoto or Photoshop or something like that. You're probably not going to be taking amazing pictures with your cell phone, but you do need to be careful with if you take a, a photo on your phone that you really like and you start editing it, you're, you're actually throwing away information as you work with it. You don't want to destroy your picture editing it on your phone and then get it on your computer and realize you've already cropped away too much So with the, now that you have a very small amount of pixels to work with. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. <laughs> The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. SellYourMac.com purchases used Apple computers, iPhones, iPads, and iPods through a safe, no-hassle transaction. They're a BBB-accredited business with an A-plus rating. You can rest assured you'll get paid for your expensive devices. They're in this business because they love Apple products. They want you to have the latest and greatest Apple gear available. Selling your used Mac, iPhone, or iPad will greatly reduce the cost of a new purchase. Get a free quote now from SellYourMac.com. Keeping food on hand for emergencies protects you the same way as does insurance on your home or car. With Freeze-Dry Guy freeze-dried foods in your food reserve, you could be ready for just about any unexpected crisis. Right now, for the month of October 2011, Freeze-Dry Guy is letting their customers get first dibs on the meat bucket special. That's roasted chicken, Southwest-style chicken, teriyaki-style chicken, stroganoff-style beef, cheesy ground beef, and savory roasted ground beef. Just add hot water and enjoy. Portable, easy, convenient. Real meat, real good. Supplies won't last with this special offer. Order today to beef up your freeze-dried meat supply. You'll even get $20 back in survival bucks or loyalty dollars when you beat the rush and order our freeze-dried meat buckets. Go to freezedryguy.com. That's freezedryguy.com. Or call 866-404-3663. That's 866-404-FOOD. 
Still ready to save? Then you're ready for the fall super sale at HerbalHealer.com. HerbalHealer.com has been the leader in quality natural supplements since 1988. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of incredible fall savings on all sale products running through October 18th. HerbalHealer.com is proud to offer eFoods Global Products, premium storable foods that are delicious, contain no MSG, no trans fats, no GMO, and have a 25-year shelf life. All you do is just add water. To learn more, click the eFoods link on HerbalHealer.com and you can try eFood storable meals for free. And don't forget to click the specials link for even more savings at HerbalHealer.com. Be sure to sign up for our free newsletter. And as always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. HerbalHealer.com, healing the world with nature one person at a time. Hurry, sale ends October 18th. If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully, because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We have Daniel Aaron Dilgore of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. We were talking about cameras and about the newly redesigned camera, um, the iPhone 4S. It makes it closer to a point-and-shoot camera. Maybe it's not 100% there, but a lot closer all the time. What about the phones on all those other cameras? They've had 8 megapixels for a while. So are the Android phones basically going to match Apple? The uh, megapixels rating isn't going to be the differentiator between iPhone and other devices. How many megapixels the device has is somewhat of a fair measurement of what kind of how it tells you how big the pictures it's going to capture. It doesn't tell you how good of a camera it has. So you really have to look at the camera and see not only is it an okay camera, but it also does does it have good camera software? Because there's been lots of eight megapixel Android cameras that took terrible pictures and had a terrible interface that would just made it impossible to use as a, as a camera. I think the biggest, the biggest competitor Apple has is perhaps phones from companies like Nokia, which not only uses good camera sensors, but it also has optics that are far more sophisticated than Apple's been using. They have actual lenses in them, so they're more like a point-and-shoot camera. That becomes really important if you want to do something like zooming. The, the iPhone 4 currently has a quite a nice camera for doing a lot of things, for capturing video and for capturing photographs. And its biggest limitation in compared to a standalone camera 
is that you can't zoom. You can't zoom into something very close to take a picture of a flower, for example, and you can't zoom in from any distance. I mean, obviously, you're not going to have a huge zoom lens on a camera, but there are there are cell phones that have mechanical zoom lenses that are you know at least useful in capturing something further away. So that's that's I think is a bigger competitive um, potential than these Androids have impressive specs, but they can't take pictures worth anything. Well, part of it is it's not just the hardware; it's the software. Yeah. So if you know if you have a great camera phone and it's running the Symbian, that's not great either. Or Windows Mobile Seven or Windows Seven, what they're calling it now. So one of the one of the great things about the that people like about the iPhone is that it's really easy to use. Let me put it this way, Daniel. When it comes to a camera, it's not just the hardware, it's the software, stupid. Well, right. I mean, one of the main reasons people like the iPhone is that it's easy to use and it's simple. So you, you, it's a very much a point-and-shoot kind of camera interface. I think the biggest flaw in the iPhone software is that you pull out your camera, it takes a while to get it started, and then it takes a while to shoot pictures. And they've said they've greatly... Uh, enhance that. One of the cool things in iOS 5 that works on every phone now that runs it is you can double click on the home button and you can push like the camera button and immediately start taking pictures and you can take pictures with the volume up control which um, allows you to quickly access the camera and, and do it. Even if you have a phone locked, you can take pictures and then if you want to use stuff on the phone, you have to unlock it to actually go in and do stuff. But it's a fast way to pull out your camera quickly and take a shot. So it gets so back to the thing here. Say you do see the UFO in the sky. Yeah. Okay? You see you ET up there. It. i got to get that picture. You break out your iPhone, and you're ready to use it very quickly. Right. And then the iPhone 4S is itself faster in being able to take a photo. Well, that's it's one of the comparisons they made is that all these functions are much faster than, what was it, the Galaxy 2 is the one they were comparing it to? Uh, yeah, they compared it to a number of different kind of high-end Android phones. What's interesting is people are, you know, trying to compare the iPhone to different Android kind of higher-end phones like the Motorola, what is it called, Atrix, and the Galaxy 2 and other things. That's not, you know, on one hand, people talk about how Android is, you know, all the Android makers combined are bigger than Apple and trying to suggest that Android is taking things over. But the reason Android is big is not because of these high-end phones. It's because of the cheap, junky phones, most of which are kind of feature phones. So it's really an unfair comparison to compare all these junk phones that people get for free on Metro PCS or whatever, and a huge amount of phones that are sold in China that don't access apps, don't access the web. That's why Apple has, you know, they, they show they have 60-some percent of the web market. And that's uh, they, the real secret there. The reason they have so much of the web is that a lot of those Android phones are just basic phones that people yeah. do not comfortably use for all these extra features, buying apps, surfing the Internet, writing email, that kind of thing. And, and the phones that are on, you know, on the level of the iPhone, these kind of higher-end Android phones that cost the same amount or sometimes are more and sometimes in some cases are, you know, they have faster chips and they have fancier cameras and they're higher-end things, they are not selling in the same category. They're not selling anywhere near the iPhone 5 or 4. The iPhone 4 is still the most popular phone in, in the U.S., and the iPhone 3GS is the second most popular. So there's a long stretch of 
you know, the long tail of third place and beyond. And so to, so to act like those phones are actually neck and neck competitors because there's a lot of Android phones being sold is kind of a, it's kind of a fake comparison to make. It's kind of like back in the, the days of PCs and Macs when, you know, there were more Mac PCs being sold because they were stripped down basic stuff. People weren't buying workstation type computers like a Mac, but it was kind of presented like, oh, there's so many Windows PCs being sold, it's, it's neck and neck with a Mac. No, they're they're cheaper things. So, I mean, it is true that Android is selling more phones, but they're not on the same level. And the, and the reason why that even matters is because the incentive for making sophisticated phone software, apps that are cool, games that are kind of, you know, involving, those things just don't exist on Android. You can't make high-end apps for Android because, first of all, nobody's buying software. And the people that do have hardware worthy of running like a high-end game, um, there's not enough of them to target it's not a big audience because Android is fragmented into these different buckets. And the iPhone-like competitors are a very small portion of Samsung sales and uh, Motorola sales and HTC sales. Most of what they're selling is junky phones. That's where the bulk of Android sales are coming from. The bulk is coming from China. but <laughs> Now we understand how the sales are going. Okay, now the other criticism voiced against the iPhone 4S, and this is something I mentioned with Peter Cohen before you came on, is that some people say, gee, it looks the same. Oh, my God, they didn't give us a new case. So, of course, they're criticizing it that way. But the overall thing here is that Apple put a lot of energy into adding lots of very important features inside that phone, the better antenna, the better camera, Siri, better processing. Of course, we have the new iOS 5 software available for the previous phones. So on the surface, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good deal for anybody who wants to upgrade. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're taking the most popular phone in the world, you don't want to mess it up. I don't understand. And the, the case designs I saw, the iPhone 5, you know, Dream designs or whatever, they were an aluminum shell trying to look like a MacBook, um, MacBook Air. If you had the original iPhone... Having an aluminum shell not only is a, you know, it's an issue with reception because your, you know, metal blocks radio. It's also cold. It feels cold because it's wicking heat out of your hand. I, I don't understand how that would make it better. With the iPhone 4, you either have this, like, sleek, you know, Steve Jobs referred to it like it was a Leica camera. It feels like a really nice piece of hardware. Um, and if you don't like that, you can put it in a case of which there are all sorts of designs. So I don't really understand the disappointment for not radically changing it because there wasn't anything wrong with it. Well, there you go. I want to tell you something new, neighbors. We have totally redone our forums at forum.technighthowl.com. That's forum.technighthowl.com. It's got near-perfect integration with Facebook, perfect integration with Twitter. You could even use it with Google+. Plus. So you're going to want to check it out and get involved in the discussions. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. We've been covering Apple's media event, which was a major headline all around the world. Who could have thunk it just a few years ago that Apple calls a meeting, the press attends. They have no choice. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Steve Shank here with a special alert from eFoods Direct. The stock market continues to crash and recrash daily. Since July, the market has dropped 15% with no signs of recovery. What does that mean to you? When stocks crash, jobs are lost, and you can't buy the food that's already too expensive and continues to raise in cost. eFoods just got noticed that wholesale costs on pasta, rice, and beans will immediately jump 20%. The already high cost of sugar is tripling. If you invest in the stock market for security or save money in the bank, you can continue to see the dollar drop in value while your weekly food bills increase. So what are you going to do? Get as much food now as you can. With these problems you're facing, eFoods Direct has no choice but to extend the free shipping another week to October 9th. Free shipping buys more food with shipping dollars. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoods Direct. Becky, thanks for calling. Oh, no problem. Lyle, honey, it's time to go home. DoubleMySpeed.com. What is that he keeps saying? DoubleMySpeed.com. DoubleMySpeed.com. What is that? Oh, this amazing site. Lyle logged on to DoubleMySpeed.com, got a free comprehensive diagnosis, and within minutes he knew exactly what was slowing down our PC. Wow. Anyway, DoubleMySpeed.com removed dangerous spyware and a virus. No kidding. They cleaned our computer remotely and restored it to peak performance. DoubleMySpeed.com. DoubleMySpeed.com. We know Lyle. He's so excited about DoubleMySpeed.com that he wanders the neighborhood to spread the word. But the only thing you can say is DoubleMySpeed.com at double speed. Gee, I wonder if Don knows about DoubleMySpeed.com. Oh, Lyle sent him an email. Don, do you know about... DoubleMySpeed.com. 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 Get your free diagnosis at DoubleMySpeed.com and within minutes, find out what's slowing down your PC. DoubleMySpeed.com. Guess it was a group email. Get your free diagnosis today. DoubleMySpeed.com. Your PC like new again. DoubleMySpeed.com. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light Systems. 
system today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're definitely in the Tech Night Isle live. And we are focusing on a whole bunch of fascinating stuff here, a lot of which, of course, covers what Apple introduced. Anything interesting about the announcements with regard to, say, the iPod? The Nano is kind of interesting that they're making it into a watch. But that was, I, I kind of wondered why they didn't do that sooner, take advantage of that. Um, the, it was interesting they finally dropped the Classic. They haven't actually uh, killed the, the item. I think they're selling off did they, inventory. Did they, oh, they, they're selling it off inventory. The Classic is technically... Yeah. Not available otherwise. Yeah, they showed their lineup, and it was three devices. Shuffle, Nano, and then Touch. It's interesting that the Touch is selling more than half of all iPhones, or all iPods made. I, I wouldn't have predicted that, but I thought iPods were going to become like a cheaper device, and people don't want that. They want the full iOS. So that's interesting. The other interesting thing is that uh, the iPhone and, and smartphones in general are kind of tied to... SMS and, and MMS, the mobile industry standards for messaging, which are not free. And Apple tried to kind of break that with email. On the original iPhone, email was kind of prioritized over SMS because you can send them for free. You can send messages for free, and, and it, you don't have this kind of phony extra bill that you get when you message too many times. And what they're doing with, with iMessage on an iOS 5 is they're making it so that if you send a, a message an SMS type message to another phone, they get it. But if you send it to an iPhone, it recognizes that you're sending it to another iPhone user on iOS 5, and it sends it as an encoded internet message. So it doesn't require the telephony network, and AT&T doesn't even see it as a text message. And so that does two things. One, it, it means that you can message people without it counting against your messages, uh, but more importantly, it means that you can now message SMS messages from Wi-Fi devices instead of mobile devices. So with an iPod Touch, you can actually message people, just like you can FaceTime, and do it over Wi-Fi with no need for a mobile contract. So that's kind of cool. And that's clearly going to be coming part of, just like FaceTime came to the Mac, it's, that's going to come to iChat as well. It's not there yet. But it's an encrypted way to send messages in this kind of fast kind of format that doesn't require the constant being online of an IM client, it works similar to push messaging. I mean, it, it's kind of tight. It's basically a push message that you're sending. So Apple has this whole like push messaging strategy, which uses in a lot of ways. It uses it to update things. Uses it to do push mail. Now it's using it with iMessage. Uses it with FaceTime. So Apple is kind of breaking down the necessity of mobile mobile carriers to use their mobile-type networks 
So now it's turning them basically into IP providers. So you're just giving them a, an internet connection as opposed to needing this kind of specialized mobile connection to do video chat or to do SMS messages. So that's something that I don't think most people get. I don't think most people have, have really clued into the fact that Apple is doing something really disruptive in the mobile space. They're, making, they're turning mobile providers into just basic internet providers. Well, will they like that? Will they care? I guess if they're getting your basic money, it doesn't matter. Well, it's just improving the world, basically. I mean, Apple's done that in a lot of different ways where they've taken something that was kind of messed up, like Flash. And there was all this hue and cry of, you know, oh, we need Flash and we need to keep everything tied to Flash so that Adobe can hold the world back. And Apple said, well, actually, no, let's not do that. Let's let's push everything to an open standard so that we can have dynamic content, we can have video, and we can have all these things without Adobe being the problematic gateway for everything. So they're not going to have their middleware software in the middle causing problems with security and performance and all these other things that Flash has been plaguing the world with and you know, taking their cut while they're adding kind of a layer of misery on top of the Internet. Apple just cut Adobe right out of the market. I mean, Flash increasingly does not matter. And there's still you know, a little bit of... I just got a new MacBook Air and I haven't put Flash on it yet. And there's a couple of things where you you know you get a scene out and they're trying to force you to watch a Flash with a vi- video Flash. I never watch their videos. Nothing against CNET. I just don't watch it. Well, CNET or whoever, you need, there's some sites you go to and they're they're trying to get you to install Flash and it's like ah eh, whatever your video is probably not interesting enough. But um, it's a big change from just a few years ago when Flash was kind of required, and now it's not. And it, Apple is the reason why it's not. Apple really pushed hard to get rid of Flash, and they, they did it. And, you know, all these people were complaining, well, the world's a better place without it. There are 250 million iOS devices out there that will never, ever, ever be able to use Flash. Yeah, I mean, that's what did it. Apple could never have done that just on the Mac. Right. Well, now even Adobe is trying to do things so they could work around it. Well, they have to, yeah. Now, isn't it interesting that Adobe scheduled a press conference for the same time that Apple did to announce their iPad apps? What's that? <laughs> yeah, what backstabbers. <laughs> but they increasingly don't matter. I mean, they, they, they announced that they'll be on the iPad at some point, but they announced them for Android tablets, which is really ridiculous because not only Android doesn't sell software, but Android tablets that no one's buying, and particularly Android 3.0 honeycomb tablets that nobody is buying. I mean, there are some people that are using Android on the Nook Color and maybe the Android, the Amazon Fire in you know kind of a in a general purpose way that doesn't really benefit Android as a platform. But the, there's just really nobody that has an Android tablet. I mean, it's it's like on the level of the Zune. It's a curiosity. It's Apple haters, you know, way to. People have indicated in their basement, but there's nobody really buying these these devices. So for Adobe to kind of flaunt its support for these devices, it, it, it what's interesting is Adobe was really attacking Apple and saying it was you know kind of drumming up this idea that Steve Jobs had this petty problem with Adobe and didn't want to support their stuff when it was really a standard and blah blah. And what you're seeing in reality is that Adobe is the petty one because they're flaunting all the support for Flash on Android. And it's really come out that Android, the Flash support on Android isn't that great. 
so it lets you you know comfortably sit in the past, but it's not that great. And it's it's taking the already bad battery power management of Android and making it worse, and not really offering any any compelling feature addition for doing so. Um, you know, you can watch YouTube videos via Flash instead of HTML5, and you know, how is that a benefit? It's just the so, same video. By the way, another announcement came this week. Apple introduces the new iPhone updates to iPod. Microsoft finally gave up on the Zoom. Yeah. And remember that Microsoft kept saying they were in it for the long haul over and over and over again, how they were going to lose money out for five years and then they were going to bounce back and take over the world, um, which is the same thing they're saying about Windows Phone 7. They're in it for the long haul. So, I mean, they're really establishing that they can't, when they say stuff like that, it doesn't mean anything. Didn't you notice this week the report that the board of directors at Microsoft kind of chastised Steve Ballmer for not producing? Of course, they didn't give him all the bonuses to which he'd normally be entitled. Not that he is hurting for money. He's worth but $19, $20 million. But listen. Probably more than that. <laughs> that's what they say he's worth in Microsoft stock. I think he's worth billions. Yeah. So not that he really cares. But when the board of directors... This happened last year, though. It's not. Sure, they did the same thing last year. year. You know, we're not getting anywhere with the mobile space and all that. And there's an article this week from Microsoft trying to justify this foolish interface for Windows 8. These tiles on the screen and how the start menu is so much different now, making a whole big deal about the start menu. Yeah. So what do you think about that? It's, It's kind of interesting to me, it seems like kind of so. What Apple does, Apple looks at a market. For example, they looked at the iPod, and then they, you know, the music player market. They looked at smartphones, and they looked at tablets, and they looked at it and they said, "What's wrong here? What is making smartphones terrible that the mass market isn't buying them?" And then looked at tablets and said, "What is making tablets terrible that no one's buying them?" And then they fixed those problems. And the problems were that tablets were expensive; they were like at least fifteen hundred bucks. They were trying to do too much, and they really delivered too little. So they promised to do a whole lot, and then you know they didn't do any of it very well. They were like an expensive alternative to a laptop. They couldn't do the things a laptop could do. We have to remember that before Apple came yeah. out with the iPad, a tablet computer was more expensive than a typical Windows notebook. Yeah, This is something that's not realized, and we'll have to go into more of this in the final segment that we're going to have with Daniel Aaron Dilger this week. It's from Roughly Drafted Magazine at RoughlyDrafted.com, writes for Apple Insider at AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the 
people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Daniel Arundelgrove of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com, I'm Gene Steinberg. Spending a few more minutes, we'll talk about Windows 8 again. And the thing that I don't understand here is why Microsoft isn't being criticized more heavily for this rather awful interface. Well, I don't think it's so terribly awful. There's a limited number of things they can do, and they have this thing that they have to use. And I mean, their options are kind of limited. But what's in, what I think is interesting, what I was saying about Apple, was that they went into all these different markets that were not performing perfectly, and they analyzed what was wrong. And they said, people are trying to do this. Well, that's not, that's not working. How can we make something that will work? How can we develop something that people will want to buy and want to use? They did this with the iPad and the iPhone and the iPhone the iPod originally, it's always been really successful. And then people have tried to copy what Apple's doing, and it's really hard to, to really copy what somebody else is doing effectively, especially when you have this company that's performing really well operationally, where it's difficult to get components on the same level and the same scale and catch up. What Microsoft has consistently done is look at a market and say, how can we take what we're already selling and force it to work in another direction? So they had Windows on the PC, they said, how can we make this a mobile device? Well, let's shrink it down. They didn't look at any of the problems that were going to result from that. And it's evident in Windows CE, in the original phones, in the PDAs, in the tablets. Everything that turned out was just junk. It was just awful. It was like they took this stuff that almost worked on the desktop, crushed it down to a small form factor that was just unusable. It was just amazing to see the kind of crap that Microsoft was pumping out in the 90s and up through the last decade. It's tunnel vision, though. It really it's tunnel vision. Yeah, well, it's, it's not looking at a market and saying, what's wrong here and how can we fix it? It's like, how can we just shove what we're selling into this other market and make it work? We'll scale it down, we'll you know, make it bigger or whatever. It's resulted in just a series of failures. And it's so clear, the pattern. It's like, how, how are you still doing this? It's one thing to do, make a mistake. It's another thing to just make mistake after mistake. after, And they're all the same mistake. And so what Microsoft is doing with Windows Phone 7 is they're saying, okay, so clearly Apple is finding success with the iPad. There's this erosion of Windows on the desktop. How do we solve this? They don't look at what the problems are and try to solve it. They just say, okay, we're going to take a layer of this and put it on top of what we're already selling. They're basically looking not to produce a new product to solve a problem, but take what they have and shoehorn it into fitting some other market. Yeah. So it's basically a shoehorn approach. And how they're presenting this, they always present it as this is choice and this is freedom and you can do whatever you want to do with it. And, you know, corporate customers are just going to scrape this layer off and, and have the basic Windows 7 layer. And consumers are going to want to take this Zoom interface and have it on a tablet and they're going to want to put this on the on the front of their PC so that when they're playing games, they have to go through this touch layer to get there. It doesn't make any sense because they're not making any tough engineering decisions the way Apple does. They're not saying, if we take this out and this out, we're going to have something that really excels at being a mobile device. What comes to mind when you talk about that, to go back to the iPhone 4S, is the diversity antenna system. 
And you have that kind of thing on cars where they kind of switch from antenna to antenna automatically to get a better signal. So here, basically, one antenna is for receiving ones, for transmitting. The switchover is instantaneous. All sorts of things you can do. I guess you do it in the firmware or the software to make this antenna more efficient, partly to, of course, eliminate the stench of the, <laughs> of the death grip, but also to give you better reception. And this is where Apple has taken something and try to find a solution, but found that solution, I guess, in the auto market, which is where they do it. And Microsoft isn't looking for answers. They're looking to fit. Well, my, yeah, Microsoft isn't engineering the hardware. They're just making a software layer. So they're not directly analogous to what Apple's doing. Yeah, but the whole death grips thing was such well, a Well, the point that is, of course, just that Apple looks for a solution to a problem. Here's a problem. You hold the phone this way, you get bad reception. Cell phone reception in general sucks, especially with AT&T. Let's find a way to make better reception. Microsoft is not looking to solve a problem. They're looking to make a product fit that they already have. Right. I mean, that's when you have companies like Microsoft or Google that make all their money from one thing, whether it's selling software or advertising, then that's all they care about. And so they don't deliver good products. They deliver products that are going to sell more software or sell more advertising. And so when you look at Android or Windows, that's what you see on layer after layer. Is this is not designed to be a good product. This is designed to sell more software or to sell more advertising. It kind of reminds me also what Amazon is doing with the Kindle Fire, which we talked about last week, so let's not go into much detail. But the Kindle Fire is being sold at fire sale prices, $199. No camera, no mic. What's it do? Well, basically, it's designed for Amazon to sell you Amazon content. So they sell it at a loss, kind of like the printer makers do with a cheap printer, so you'll buy the Amazon content. They're aiming at being a Google. There's, a, there's an awful lot of ad work being done on the, to subsidize the fire as well. Amazon's trying to get into ads, and they're trying to get into the whole Silk browser thing, is trying to look at what people are doing on the web. It's the same thing that Google and Facebook are doing. They're trying to have a pool of customers that's to sit around and don't pay for anything, but they spine what they're doing all the time. And that's a lot of useful information that's derived from that. So that's, I mean, they're basically becoming an adware firm like Facebook and Google. I'm not saying that's incredibly wrong because, I mean, I use Google Maps. I love it. I use Facebook. I, I like it for a lot of things. There's an element of, you know, sort of scary that they're taking all your data, but I don't know. That's a pretty good trade for what you're doing. But those products, they don't have the same excellence that Apple's products have because Apple isn't selling us something for free to watch what we're doing to sell the information to marketers. Apple is selling a, a good product. So it's more like buying a car. It's in and of to, itself they're selling you that product. That's the beginning and end. If you don't buy the software, it doesn't matter. They made a profit from the product you bought. Well, they're hoping to make a profit. I mean, if you look at Google and, and Amazon, they're not making profits anywhere near Apple. That's something to keep in mind when they when they talk about how how widespread these devices. You know, maybe the Kindle will sell in broad numbers. Maybe Android is selling in broad numbers. That's not generating profits in the way that the iPhone is generating profits. Well, it's not iPhone. generating a profit to Amazon if you don't buy lots of books and you don't buy the streaming service or other services and products. They basically lose out of the whole deal. Well, what I'm saying is there is a revenue stream. It's you know, it's fairly minor. I mean, Apple makes a little bit from the App Store, too, but it's not what the reason Apple makes products. No, they make products to sell products. Yeah, but it's reflected also in how good of a product Apple can make. 
I mean, the reason why the iPod, for example, went from being a simple player to you know radically just improving all the time is because Apple was making a lot of money on it. Apple was making billions of dollars on it. So they were constantly making it better so people would buy more. So it radically evolved really quickly. And if you compare, you know, like the Walkman didn't evolve quite that fast. Or if you look at other devices, they don't get that much better because they're not making that much money. So TVs, you know, it took 10 years or 15 years for HGTV to catch on because they weren't making that much money to be able to drill prices down really rapidly. Where with these mobile devices, Apple's making so much money and such a good profit on kind of lower end hardware that people are buying pretty regularly that they can radically improve where things are going. People are throwing their money at something they really like and it's allowing Apple to dramatically create much better products because that money is generating, it's, it's paying for the development of faster processors and everything, software development in iOS 5. So it's, it's really kind of stoking this fire of innovation and creation that's resulting in great products. The MacBook line is a great example of that. I mean, Apple went from making pretty good laptops to be making really excellent laptops that are now kind of the standard for everyone's trying to copy. And it's because they invested so much money into it to, to where it started turning into this controlling their own weather kind of thing, creating their own weather, as, as they say. You can make a cheap laptop and sell it in huge quantities because it's cheap, but you're not going to be making enough money to make it a really good laptop or to develop it into a really nice thing. You look at Acer and all these other companies that make these little crappy laptops that have been you know, static for the last five years running Windows 7 or XP or whatever, they're not radically getting better. They're not dramatically becoming this better product. They're, they're kind of the same as they always were. They're you know, slowly evolving as chips get faster, but there's not that kind of radical innovation. So if you look at the, the Amazon Fire, the Kindle Fire, it's really just a cheaper version of the Nut Color or you know, the, the Playbook. It's made by the same people old. who built the Playbook, so it's very similar. Hey, tell our listeners where they can find more of what you do. I'm Daniel Aaron Dilger. I write for Roughly Drafted and for AppleInsider.com. Daniel Aaron Dilger, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. All right, thanks for having me, Gene. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Out Live, please write us news at technightowl.com. Once again, that's news at technightowl.com. We will talk for the rest of the show about Steve Jobs, who died this week at the age of 56. Up next will be Adam Inkst of Tidbits and Take Control Books. SellYourMac.com purchases used Apple computers, iPhones, iPads, and iPods through a safe, no-hassle transaction. They're a BBB-accredited business with an A-plus rating. You can rest assured you'll get paid for your expensive devices. They're in this business because they love Apple products. They want you to have the latest and greatest Apple gear available. Selling your used Mac, iPhone, or iPad will greatly reduce the cost of a new purchase. Get a free quote now from SellYourMac.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Are you wondering about your retirement portfolio? 
Are you confident that the financial advisor is experienced enough to combat climbing interest rates, taxes, and inflation? Stop guessing and go to the expert, Robert Chapman of the International Forecaster. When you subscribe to the International Forecaster, you get Robert Chapman's 45 years of experience and concise investment recommendations. Who needs sugar-coated excuses when you can get the cold hard facts and proven investment leads you can't get anywhere else? For a free introductory copy to Robert Chapman's International Forecaster, subscribe now at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. Experience the difference. When you subscribe, you can email Robert Chapman directly to obtain investment advice tailored just for you. Don't wait another minute. Subscribe today at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. That's 877-479-8178. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. Adam Ace of Tidbits and Take Control Books. When did you hear about the death of Steve Jobs? We were just finishing dinner, and my iPhone bleeped at me with a direct message from Jeff Carlson, one of our, our writers at Tidbits, saying, Outlets reporting Steve Jobs has died. That was the, the, the message that got it, you know, sort of finished off dinner quickly and then went up to the computers to, to get online and see what was happening. He was early enough that we still hadn't, you know, had to actually look for confirmation. 
that you know it could have been one of those things that just uh, uh, you know was someone's idea of a, of a joke. So we wanted to make sure. And then the, the statement from the Apple Board of Directors was was the uh, the confirmation we needed. Well, of course, the statement from the guy who wrote the Steve Jobs authorized biography said his last interviews, Steve Jobs was basically very weak in condition. Yeah. So it was obvious, and very likely when he submitted his resignation, he knew the end was near. And what's almost fitting in a way is, so we have on Tuesday, Apple has Tim Cook hosting all by himself with the normal lieutenants, the media presentation of the iPhone 4S, and Jobs dies the next day almost, you think, saying, I'm satisfied, I can go now. (laughs) The timing was as usual, impeccable, that, you know, Apple obviously didn't say anything until they didn't release a statement. There's no, I don't know when, when he actually died during the day, but they didn't release the statement until the stock markets had closed, as, as is their, their want, um, and, uh, you know, had to have it happen so that it did not take away from the, uh, the iPhone release you know, someone with the force of will as strong as Steve Jobs, you can easily see him saying, no, I'm going to hold on for another day. I kind of think people sometimes can do that. If someone has a mission or something Absolutely. in life to complete, they just force it by force of will to hang on. Yeah. You, I mean, you hear all sorts of stories about, you know, about people, you know, you know, dying when someone can finally get to their bedside or, you know, holding on is, you know, for some event to take place. And, and this, as that it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest because as far as the world is concerned, Steve Jobs, you know, was Apple. And so he wasn't going to do anything if he could possibly avoid it to, to, that would hurt Apple in this way. And, you know, certainly having, have, you know, if, if he had died the day of the, of the announcement or worse during, obviously it wouldn't have hurt Apple as a, as a business for real, you know, in the long term, but it would have put a serious crimp in the announcement and the coverage and all of that. Well, it's possible then, you know, he died hours earlier. It's just they held the announcement. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said, I'm, I'm sure it happened sometime during the day. I mean, I, I would be surprised if, if they, uh, you know, if it had happened, you know, exactly when the announcement came out. So, um, and that's very said, likely yep. like newspapers have a bits written yeah, about absolutely. famous personalities. Very likely they, they, Apple had already prepared something. I'm sure that I'm sure that everyone was thinking that way. They you have to. And you know, again, I I think we've we've said this before, but you know, Apple is a grown up company. They don't do things randomly. And you have to assume that you know the PR a PR department is capable as Apple's um, of managing the message would be ready for the situation. You'd also realize, for example, that any large corporation is prepared for a disaster to happen to any of their key executives because accidents happen. You know, no one is guaranteed that they're going to live forever. But even if you're relatively young and in good health, tomorrow something happens. It's the hit by a bus problem. You know, Something you never like that, yeah. you, you you never want to expect it, but an organization of any of sufficient size and maturity is always thinking that you know you have to have some sort of a plan. Over the years, Adam Inks, did you ever meet Steve Jobs? 
I've met him actually twice. I, I was interesting. I, I was talking to some people and I had actually remembered a second time. The first time I met him was in, I can't remember if it was 88 or 89. I was a senior at, at Cornell and was a student supervisor of the public computer rooms and as was Tanya. And so we were at the public uh, ribbon cutting when Cornell got the first public room of next machines, of cubes, uh, anywhere. I mean, they, they'd just been released and they weren't, you know, wasn't even, well, I shouldn't say they'd been released. They hadn't even been released. Uh, it was operating system version 0.9 of Next Step or Next OS or whatever they called it at that point. We didn't, I don't remember speaking to him or anything particular at that point, but we were, you know, that was the, the, the chance because we were, yeah, had special invitations being, being in charge of the room. And then it was interesting because I, you know, I had been saying, oh, that's the only time I've, I've met him. Um, Did you have a chance to really, talk to him much or what? Or just I, like fly in and go? Oh, at that point, you know, oh, you know, he was he was there for a while. People talked to him, but, you know, we were students. <laughs> we were not the people who, who, who were going to get to talk to him. <laughs> you know, it was pretty cool that we got to be, you know, you know, there for the ribbon cutting at all. Well, the thing, of course, also is Steve Jobs had a habit, and I caught him doing this twice, and I gather in talking to Peter Cohen, where, in fact, we were at the same event, but we didn't know each other at the time, at least visually, where Steve Jobs attended the opening of the Apple Store in Soho in New York City. And the thing that Steve Jobs would do, and this, I guess, was part of his technique, is you'd ask him a question, he'd talk to you, and, of course, when he realized he had enough of you or <laughs> felt that he wanted to get rid of you, rather than say, thank you, I have to go, he'd just continue answering the question and walk the other way. And then, of course, you couldn't just race after him. That would be rude. <laughs> well, the the only other time that I realized I remembered that I had met him very briefly was at Macworld Expo when Apple um, had introduced iTunes. Now, iTunes, as I'm sure you remember, was written by Jeff Robin. And I know uh, Jeff Robin because I remember him in the days of the 90s when he was writing utilities for the Mac and also... He wrote a game, Spaceways 2000, and I remember that because my son ran into a problem using it, and Jeff spent an hour and a half on the phone helping my son. <laughs> and I never, I never forgot that because he was such a gracious guy. And then, of course, he was one of the authors of Sound Jam, which Apple bought yes. to become iTunes. Precisely. And now, by the way, he's a vice president for Apple. And so, so that was, I mean, he, at the time he was a graduate student, um, you know, when he was writing Sound Jam and Conflict Catcher and all that. And, um, and then when Apple, you know, went to Apple when they bought Sound Jam. And, uh, and so he was, this was right, you know, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it was the, you know, right after uh, Apple had released iTunes. And so he was walking around with Steve Jobs. You know, it was kind of the, you know, walk with me. And because uh, he was, you know, sort of the, he was the, he was the new kid on the block, but, uh, but Steve wanted to, wanted to go around with him. I got the impression Jeff was a little, a little um, uh, shocked by this and didn't quite know what to do, but. He wasn't know, a public he... speaker kind of guy. He's a very quiet kind of guy in person, very yeah. soft spoken. And I did meet Jeff a couple of times over at Macworld Expos. I'd see him. And he'd start throwing little hints. Of course, he couldn't say anything because he's an Apple employee and he wanted to stay that way. But occasionally he'd give me a couple of winks and nods. Just watch this. This is cool. And there you go. We have Adam Inkst on the Tech Night Out Live.
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Becky, thanks for calling. Oh, no problem. Lyle, honey, it's time to go home. DoubleMySpeed.com. What is that he keeps saying? DoubleMySpeed.com. DoubleMySpeed.com. What is that? Oh, this amazing site. Lyle logged on to DoubleMySpeed.com, got a free comprehensive diagnosis, and within minutes he knew exactly what was slowing down our PC. Wow. Anyway, DoubleMySpeed.com removed dangerous spyware and a virus. No kidding. They cleaned our computer remotely and restored it to peak performance. DoubleMySpeed.com. DoubleMySpeed.com. We know Lyle. He's so excited about DoubleMySpeed.com that he wanders the neighborhood to spread the word. But the only thing he can say is DoubleMySpeed.com at double speed. Gee, I wonder if Don knows about DoubleMySpeed.com. Oh, Lyle sent him an email. Don, do you know about... DoubleMySpeed.com. 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 Get your free diagnosis at DoubleMySpeed.com and within minutes, find out what's slowing down your PC. DoubleMySpeed.com. Guess it was a group email. Get your free diagnosis today. DoubleMySpeed.com. Your PC like new again. DoubleMySpeed.com. Why is it so many people suffer from so many illnesses today? Why don't doctors know how to help you? Could it be that our doctors don't know how because there's a nutrition solution and they only know about drugs? Over 68 diseases are connected to a deficiency of glutathione. The missing ingredient to increasing your body's production of glutathione is cysteine. Raising your glutathione production protects you from cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. Nature's richest source of cysteine is unheated whey. Heating can damage much of the cysteine. One World Whey is the first undamaged whey protein on the market. Using One World Whey may support optimal glutathione production unlike any other food or supplement you've ever taken. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y dot com. This is a special announcement for all Americans who owe back taxes to the IRS or state. Pay attention. There is a special toll-free hotline set up especially for you. This hotline will give you free information on how you can legally reduce or eliminate your tax debt. Call the Consumer Tax Hotline today at 1-800-652-3707. Grab a pen or put the number in your cell phone, but call 1-800-652-3707. When you call, you will speak with qualified companies that will tell you how to stop the collection calls, IRS letters, bank levies, and wage garnishments. 
garnishments. Plus, these companies will deal directly with the IRS on your behalf, so you won't have to. Even if you haven't filed returns or you're already in a payment plan, you can still get relief. The current government administration is very amicable and wants to work out a program in your best interest. But this won't last forever, and your tax problem only gets worse if you do nothing or try to handle it yourself. It does make a big difference in who you call. So call the Consumer Tax Hotline today for free information. 1-800-652-3707. That's 1-800-652-3707. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. With Adam Inks, we are remembering Steve Jobs and the people around him. Of course, I didn't know who a Steve Jobs was back in the 1980s until I started looking into the Macintosh culture. I just used the computers. You know, to me, it's, it's something good to use, a useful tool. I didn't think of the personality. When did you become aware of a guy named Steve Jobs? That's a good question. I think it, it probably would have been in the late 80s when, with, with um, Next. Because we forget, by the way, that the Internet was more or less invented and perfected on the Next computer and the first browser, too. The web was, the web was yes. I mean, obviously, there was lots of Internet stuff happening, but not on anything resembling you know, modern computers. Um, you know, you were using VT100s and stuff and like that. I mean, I was doing Internet stuff at Cornell for a bunch before that, but yes. And it wasn't, um, of course, Al Gore using them. <laughs> well, you know, and Al Gore, Al Gore takes flack, but uh, you know, he really did push the uh, the necessary legislation through uh, through Congress. So, any event, um, the thing that uh, I was trying to remember, basically, uh, back in the day, um, back in the in the eighties, um, the way the the best news came from Mac Week. You, lo- I mean, everyone who was a Mac user loved Mac Week, and the way or you got as we Mac called Week, it, Mac Leak. Yeah, indeed. And the way you got Mac Week was that you lied about how many Macs you were responsible for because they were it was free for anyone who was in charge you know, in charge of Macs. And <laughs> we were, right, we were right, right, right. You had to fill this big questionnaire out. Oh yeah, totally. And the questionnaire you'd say, you know, okay, I'm represent a Fortune five hundred company, we have sixty million dollars in revenues. They never checked it out, you know, it was just a formality. Yep. And, but we didn't know that. <laughs> but we figured that, okay, you know, we're in charge of these public rooms, and you know, we probably have you know, 300 Macs between all our public rooms and you know, Cornell University. So, you know, so anyway, so we could get Mac Week. So, so I knew some of the stuff um, about Apple because of that. But he had, he had already left by that point, and you know, it was working on Next. And so that was you – know, so, so I don't think I particularly knew of him in his first stint at Apple. And and that was it. But interestingly, um, I mean, as as you know, obviously, and others may may realize, Tidbits has slightly odd capitalization. We have a, a capital T, a small I, a small D, and then a capital B, capital I, capital T, capital S. Tidbits. The reason why we do that actually is because of Next. That early on, Next was capital N, small E, capital X, capital T, and I, for some reason, I liked it. So. That's how we did tidbits um, when, uh, and that was that was specifically because of Steve Jobs and Next. <laughs> tidbits was inspired by Next. Do you remember? Next had such a mystique that some Mac developers would develop Next-like interfaces for Mac utilities. Yeah, like the, the black the Next- box. The black box developed by Andrew Welch, who has a company called Ambrosia Software. 
and he has a lot of very cool products. But then he had something called the black box to give an entire next-like look and feel. Very buggy, but it worked. The it was interesting because I mean I said I the next next step or I can't remember whether it was called next step or next OS originally and then it switched to the other one I think it was next OS originally, um, but I said we had version zero point nine at Cornell in the in those in those early days and it was buggy as sin um, I mean those machines were just a royal pain and they were also a, a royal pain to manage because they had some hardware design flaws that were fairly significant such as they drew air for the cooling fans in through the optical drive. So needless to say, the optical drive attracted dust like there was no tomorrow. It sounds like the Macintosh 2CX and 2CI, they were dust magnets for the floppy drive. I remember how often we'd have to clean out the interior because the floppy suddenly stopped working. Yeah. Yeah, and so same thing. So as that, you know, as as the people in sort of in charge of keeping those things running, um, both hardware and software, frankly, we weren't all that fond of them. I mean, it was impressive what they could do, but uh, yeah, it was they were they were a bit annoying. But uh, did you know, the I mean, next step system or the computers ever reach a state of reasonable perfection? They did, um, as my understanding. Although by that time I was not using them because I left Cornell and they were way too expensive for anyone to have otherwise. There were some interesting sales actually both to Wall Street um, for financial modeling and to uh, the government. In fact, the U.S. government um, was very interested in them because they were some of the most powerful small computers you could get at the time. And um, particularly because they had Display Postscript as their, their imaging system, you could visualize things on a next machine that you really couldn't do on pretty much any other computer at the time, including the Mac, because the Mac's QuickDraw, while very good, was not up to the equivalent uh, capabilities of Display Postscript. All right. Well, now, of course, Apple's using PDF as the basis for the Mac OS. What do you think? Back in 1996, Apple is trying to buy an operating system. The company's on the skids. And they looked at a couple of operating systems, BOS and Next. you got to think that Steve Jobs did the best sales pitch of his life to make that happen. Yeah, it's really funny. I, I've never heard any good stories about how that happened. Uh, because, you know, on the, on the one hand, he had grown up enough to be an adult and realize that Next had no future. It really wasn't a viable company at that point. By that by that point, it was just an operating system. It wasn't being used hardly anywhere. They weren't making hardware. Their funding was 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 running out. They didn't really have a business. They were mostly selling web objects, as if I remember correctly. And so, you know, so on the one hand, you're right that he must have been you know, sort of wanting to unload next um, and you know keep it as viable as possible. But on the other hand, boy, the, the the early statements from him in terms of of you know running Apple and what he was going to do, you didn't get the sense that that was his plan all along. You know that he was, yeah, he sort of he he sort of grudgingly became the interim CEO, and you know the quote, you know, I hope we find this terrific CEO tomorrow. Um, so. So yeah, I don't really know what he felt about that, and no I Machiavellian think, kind of theories here. 
doesn't I don't get that sense. And I and I and my my remembrance was that the that Apple was much more believed to be going after B because B was of course you know founded by Jean Louis Gasset, um, you know an ex Apple executive too. And if anything, I mean, it'd be interesting to if someone asked Jean Louis this, you know, if they sort of assumed they were a shoe in. And then discovered that oh my goodness, there's this alternative, and you know, and it's Steve Jobs and Next, and you know, and then Apple suddenly makes this decision because it it happened like in the week after Christmas in 1995, if I'm remembering correctly. And so it was, it was a shock. 1996, sir. Was it 1996? Because yes, I thought it was. it was. I thought it was right at the end of the year. Well, it might it have like, been 95 at the end, but we always think it, of 1996 as a sale. Precisely. That's like he came back in 96, but I think the deal actually went down like on December 26th or 27th or something. It was, it was a very strange timing and very surprising. Um, so, so yeah, so that was, it, that was, that was just it. You know, you don't, I don't know, but yeah, I never got the, I've never gotten a sense or heard a story about how this was all in his master plan. He took advantage of the situation. Yeah, yeah. And you know, remember, he—it wasn't like he didn't have a whole other company to be CEO of at the time. So he wasn't exactly bored. <laughs> you know, that he still had Pixar, and Pixar was was being a big deal. So, you know, I do think that, um, you know, he he may have come back to Apple a little grudgingly at first and then realized, you know, again, kind of what the possibilities were and, you know, and how much he, he, you know, still wanted to make, to change the world in the ways that only Apple could do. And maybe felt he had a second chance to do what he couldn't do when he originally headed Apple. So he staged the palace coup. Yeah, yeah. I don't, again, I don't know too much about how that happened, but Gil Emilio was not, you know, not doing well to begin with. So uh, I don't think the board needed much, much uh, convincing to oust Emilio in favor of Jobs. And that's how it went. We have some more to discuss with Adam Ingst of Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for quick action. Listen to what the revolutionary MDS Forte can do for you. 
MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs and helps weight loss, is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. Waiting for the side effects disclaimers? With MDS Forte, there are none. Order a 25-day treatment of MDS Forte at BestBloodSupport.com or call 213-405-5355. Call 213-405-5355 or go to BestBloodSupport.com. That's BestBloodSupport.com for MDS Forte, a diabetes breakthrough. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. Jason Lewis here. We talk daily about all the crazy stuff happening around the world. Concerns with the economy, job loss, and natural disasters, just to name a few. Let me ask you, what are you doing to be prepared? How will you provide for your family in an emergency? Well, for my preparation, I recommend WiseFoodStorage.com. WiseFoodStorage.com offers delicious, ready-made, freeze-dry meals that carry a 25-year shelf life, and you prepare them in minutes by simply adding water. Wise Food Storage entrees are packaged in individual metal mylar pouches, then stored in convenient grab-and-go plastic containers for freshness and easy transport. Go to wisefoodstorage.com today to request a free entree sample. And for a limited time, enter the promo code LEWIS to get free shipping on any order. Call 855-FOODWISE. That's 855-366-3947 or visit wisefoodstorage.com. Wisefoodstorage.com, gourmet emergency food at the best price. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. Adam Angst to Tidbits and Take Control Books joining us, remembering Apple and Steve Jobs in the old days, back when Apple was on the skits, 1995, 1996. Do you have a feeling that maybe Apple was history? Oh, back in those days, uh, yeah. Absolutely. And I even remember it, it, it lasted for a while. I mean, people don't, perhaps don't think about this, but Jobs didn't come back and Apple, have Apple immediately take off. It took a while. There were profit, there were quarters even after he came back when Apple lost money for the quarter. So, you know, much less, you know, had record profits the way, you know, as has been happening for the last bunch of years. So it was a couple of years, probably, 98, 99, before I think Apple 
was seemingly back on track. The iMac was probably the turning point. And, you know, and it just takes a while to turn around a company the size of Apple. So, you know, there was certainly you know, plenty of stories about him coming in and, you know, calling different departments in and saying, you know, what have you got? You know, and basically these people would, you know, would show what they had for five minutes and he would say, that's crap, you're all fired. You know, and on the other hand, if you showed him something and said, you know, and, he, and you were able to do a good enough job um, and make a good enough case for it, it's like, okay, great. You know, you, you still have a job. Everything is, everything is good. Get working. If the point so, was to stand up to him and make the pitch, if you withered before his eyes, your idea never got the light of day. Yeah, I remember hearing about um, uh, AppleScript actually um, was saved only because the guy who was in charge, uh, Sal Segoyan, um, made the point that the entire publishing industry had workflow based on AppleScript. Yeah, that was like, okay, we, you know, you may think this is a, you may think this is kind of pointless. Yeah, this isn't the thing that you're interested in, but the this entire key industry is built on AppleScript. And it survived. But AppleScript itself doesn't seem to be given much presence now. Oh, no. I mean, as that it's, I, 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 I think that's actually indicative that jobs, from Jobs' perspective, having a low-level scripting language in the operating system, what's that all about? I mean, it's not, it's not really – it doesn't fit with the kinds of things that he sees as being important about computing in the modern world. On the other hand, I think the fact that AppleScript still powers a whole lot of workflow through, you know, the publishing industry, through probably the, uh, the you know, the video industry, all those kinds of things, um, makes it essential to keep around. It may not get significant resources to change in any big way, but I'd be really surprised to see AppleScript go away, given how important it is. Now, looking at where Apple went. Looking from the outside, writing, covering what Apple was doing, did you ever expect to become not just the number one tech company on the planet by market cap, but beat Exxon? <laughs> no, no, not a chance. As I said, in 98, I remember you know, people talking about the death spiral, people talking about their exit plans you know, in the industry. What were you going to do if Apple went under or you know, Apple became so small? You know, and, and there were... People, you know, people I worked with at other at some of the other Mac publications who left and got jobs elsewhere in the industry because they didn't think that working at Mac Week or Mac User or Mac World was a, you know, a solid career because Apple was just too weak. And so to to go from those days, I mean, the days when Michael Dell famously suggested that Apple should, you know, liquidate and give the money back to the shareholders, um, to being worth more than Exxon Mobil. Uh, no, there's. I, I don't think anyone could have could have imagined that, and that's because no one could have imagined the iPod, the iTunes Store, the iPhone, the iPad. You know that that's just too far beyond what you could have predicted based on knowing what Apple was capable of at that time. Well, that's the whole thing here: Apple doing what you didn't expect them to do, even if you could predict the product that would come out. You never look at how the public embraced it. And as I was saying to another guest, they put the personal in personal computer. A personal computer was still basically just a small computer, a small yeah. box, but Apple made it a personal appliance. Well, and I think the, I mean, it's, an, it's indicative because, you know, the Newton was, you know, 
very much along these lines. It's not like Apple hasn't tried to do this sort of stuff in the past. They have. But either the technology just wasn't there or they tried to do too much with it. I mean, you look at the Newton and the Newton, you know, tried to do way more than the Palm that came out shortly thereafter. And the Palm was a huge hit for quite a while until the Palm was completely supplanted by cell phones. And what Palm realized was get a device with limited functionality that worked, that did most of what it was supposed to do well. Precisely. They just couldn't see the future. They couldn't move beyond that basic model. Right. And that's what Apple didn't get with the Newton, but did get with the iPod and and the iPhone. And, you know, and I will say that there's, you know, there's a certain, there was a certain instinct that Jobs had, and I will say that I don't think other people did, to bet on things like the iPod. I mean, when the iPod first came out, 400 bucks for a music player? I mean, that was just crazy. You know, who was going to pay that much? And as it turns out, Lots of people. Now, so, that's another important point, too. Does Apple still have people who are willing to bet on something that isn't a sure thing? He, I think they do. Again, you know, and certainly there's been this, you know, we've talked about this sort of thing before, that, you know, Apple has worked very hard to disseminate what it is like, what, the way Steve thinks, that that's the executives who have worked with him for years and years and years now understand what he with the way he looked at the world and you know it isn't like steve came up with the iphone out of the you know top of his head undoubtedly it was apple research that came up with you know these possibilities and you know the, the tablet and you know that we can't do the tablet now and maybe we can make it smaller you know that but what he did was greenlight it um and push like crazy to make sure that it was as good as it could be for the time. And that's, uh, you know, that's really important because a lot of times these companies come out with things where getting it out is more important than having it be really good. And, and then it's not good and then it doesn't sell well and no one likes it, and et cetera, et cetera. So I do think that Apple executives still understand you know, what's necessary. The question is, what will be the next massive innovation? Um, Not the next iPhone, not the next iPad, not the next iPod, but something that takes it into another area. And maybe Steve Jobs was working on that. Who knows? You know, you have to assume that anything that you see today was in labs five years ago, um, or at least three years ago. So what's in the labs now is what we will be seeing in, in, in two to five years. So at least the and, two to five year plan is definite. Beyond that, we don't know, but it depends on how well his DNA was embedded into the company and the personnel who were leading it. Right. And I do think that even, even acknowledging sort of the huge uh, impact of the iPhone – it was not – the iPhone didn't do anything you couldn't imagine. In other words, in fact, what's good about the iPhone and the iPad and all of this is that it is science fiction, that it was imaginable, and we did imagine it. And so it's basically bringing reality From into, Star Trek. 
Yeah, all right. It's funny because we have to think of Star Trek, and we think of the communicator, which is kind of like the cell phone, and we think of things like uh, on the bridge of the Enterprise and Next Generation, we think of the pet. Hey, tell our listeners where they can find more of the things you write about. I can go to tidbits.com for tidbits and www.takecontrolbooks.com for our full series of electronic books, including uh, our just released Take Control of Backing Up Your Mac, Joe Kessel's ultimate book on Macintosh backups. Okay, you can find our ultimate stuff at technighthow.com. You go to forum.technighthow.com. We have a brand new forum format, new look and feel with social networking. Check it out. Check us out at Twitter, Tech Night Owl at Twitter, Tech Night Owl at Twitter, and our other radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night, the Paracast at Paracast.com. That's Paracast.com. Special thank you to Adam Inks to Tidbits for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live this week to remember Steve Jobs. Thanks for having me, Jane. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.